0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to The Industry Show. I'm your host, Nitin Pujaj. And joining me today is Jared Yellen. Jared, welcome on the show. It is my
1: honor. I love what you're doing. I love what you stand for. And uh, I want to deliver for your wonderful community and audience. So feel free to ask me anything.
0: Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to have you here. And uh, would love to get started with who is Jared?
1: I'm a father to three beautiful children, Taley, uh, Riker, and Kaden. Taley is six, uh, Riker is four, and Kaden just turned seven months. I'm a husband with a beautiful wife, Lindsay, and uh, I'm a parallel entrepreneur. And I've learned that over time, that I'm better when I'm doing more than one thing at one time, because I find ways to vertically integrate those things. And part of what I'm committed to outside of ensuring that you can have it all as an entrepreneur is to build, scale, and exit 10,000 tech companies, which I'll speak into more in a bit.
0: So amazing. And I cannot think of a better person to do do this at that scale. So kudos to you on on the journey so far. And uh, looking forward to hearing more. Tell us what is Project 10K? What is the mission? What is the vision? And and very curious to hear why do this.
1: So um, what led to the birth of Project 10K is my own experience as a non-tech tech founder that did everything you could conceivably do wrong while building my first B2B SaaS platform, but I landed on my feet and the company is pretty successful today but it was grueling, it was dark, and it was absolutely unnecessarily painful. I invested two years and $2 million of my own capital only to see the entire V1 of my first SaaS company implode on launch. And I should have just quit and then pursued a different path, but I couldn't, because I just so knew there was a need in the market for that solution. Um, I ended up building my own software development firm in India, and as a result of making that big bold decision, um, we pulled it off. And that first SaaS company is a very viable business today. But one of the things that I've realized is that the vast majority of tech companies, they are derived from non-technical people, which means they're either never going to start or if they do, they're probably going to have an experience very similar to mine. And I'm motivated to eliminate suffering in early stage tech because that industry has more suffering than all the industries combined because it's just so difficult to put all the pieces together. So Project 10K is a venture ecosystem that puts all of those pieces together. We co-found tech companies at the idea stage. And over the past two and a half years, we have had a few thousand entrepreneurs from around the world come through our process. It's a very extensive process, um, but there are four key things that we're looking for: the right person with the right idea in the right market and the right business model. And when those things are present, there's a lot of nuance to it. But when they are present, we will co-found a company with the entrepreneur. We'll both take equity in the company, and then we build the entire company, everything from product and engineering to uh, branding and press strategy and business development and then all the back office accounting bookkeeping legal and investor relations we are the ultimate co-founder for the idea stage entrepreneur
0: and it sounds like you take all the pain away so the founder can just come in focus on what's important on the product on the customer on the experience the ui the ux so you know you you went through this experience you learned the hard way and uh, now having put all of this together with the goal of the 10,000 companies and helping those 10,000 founders, give us a sense of the size and scale of the operations today and uh, what you see happening uh, maybe the six, in the next six to 12 months.
1: So we have over hundred companies that we've co-founded in our first two and a half years, um, which is more impressive than 10,000. This was like our figured out two and a half years. And what we figured out is our business operating system. It's a founder journey, it's predictable, it's linear, it reduces risk and it increases the chance of product market fit, scale and exit. Um, When we first got started, we truly had no idea how to resource allocate this project. Um, For example, our company in India, When we first started had maybe six or seven people and three months later had 175 people so we just scaled extremely quickly and not just india throughout the entire world uh we've now scaled back we've got about 100 people on the team and i think we'll scale back even further we just really need high quality people that can master their specific domains Um, We started to now build out more of a vendor network where in the beginning we had no vendor network. It was all 100% our employees. Um, We have certain projects that just require skill sets that it doesn't make sense for us to go and start building a team around. We have this interesting blockchain project right now. We just partnered with a rock star company that specializes in that versus us trying to go and create what they've already created when they have five to seven years uh, doing this already. So we've just gotten significantly better at building out vendor networks, resource allocation, hiring really high quality people that on day zero, um, they're contributing. We have a rule at Product 10K and that rule is, at this stage, no one can learn on our dime because we're just moving too quickly. So instead, when we make hires, we wanna feel like they're paying us dimes because they come in with just so much knowledge and wisdom of their craft. So we've just gotten better around recruiting the right people, saying yes to the right founders to begin with, saying yes to the ideas that we can generate cash flow quickly, saying yes to the markets we're going to enter that are not too competitive, but also not a blue ocean where there's nothing in sight. We look for what we call a pink ocean, uh, which means that there's an addressable market that knows there's an inefficiency and they're trying to find a solution and they're just not finding the optimal one. So either they're doing nothing or they're duct taping something together and both are suboptimal. And then we look for business models that always have recurring revenue. We're not interested, at least at this stage, in building the next Instagram where we're gonna hope for millions of users that have some perceived value associated with them. We look for platforms that have monthly or annual fees that we can charge on users so that the day that we launch, if we get a hundred people to pay a hundred bucks, we're in business because we're doing ten thousand dollars a month of recurring revenue.
0: I love the efficiency. I love the focus. I love the value this brings to founders, and that's why they're coming to you. They're willing to give up the equity because they know this is going to get into motion. The rubber meets the road, and you, you hit, uh, you hit traction. So I love that. Now, there's obviously a lot of challenges as you continue to figure out what's the right cadence, the right fit, vendors, partners, what have you. I'm curious to hear what's that one big challenge you have.
1: It's it's the beauty and the curse of me is the biggest challenge we face. So I have probably the deepest level of conviction of anyone you'll ever meet in your entire life. And that's not an arrogant statement. It's a very real statement that other people have share with me. And that level of conviction is a beauty and a curse. Um, It's a a beauty more than a curse, but there could be some curse associated with beauty. So some of the early founders, they interpreted my conviction as I already figured everything out and I didn't. We're going to figure it out together. But my conviction is we will figure it out together. So the greatest challenge is just some of the early founders having poor expectations of what was expected of them. Because just because we said yes doesn't really mean anything. Like it's going to be easier, but not easy. And we're still looking to prove that the impossible is probable. Because right now, less than one tenth of 1% of SaaS companies become viable. And I know the stats say 1% to 2%. That's just the ones that actually get it to the point where they have a fighting chance. Like it's less it's less than one-tenth of 1%. And we're committed to a 51% financial viability rate. So that's a Herculean feat, yes. right? And in the beginning, we were a startup company launching startups. So if you're a startup and you have a less than one-tenth of 1% chance of making it, when you're a startup launching startups, you have a negative chance of making it. And we're here to tell the story. So the greatest challenge is just some of the early founders, helping them have better expectation management and realizing that my conviction isn't that it was figured out, but is that we are going to figure it out together.
0: Love the transparency. Love the, the whole notion of, yeah, let's figure it out together. We are a team. This is not me driving you. It's we collectively getting to, to that North Star. On the flip side of challenges come opportunities. And I want to know what's that one most exciting opportunity that you're targeting.
1: So the thing with this project is it's so ambitious. It literally opens every door on planet Earth um, because it's just so ambitious. And we're not just talking about it. We're executing on it. But there's a number of things. But I would say the thing that excites me the most about this project um, and the impact that it it already has had and will continue to have in the world is as much as we care about building, scaling, and exiting each business, which we do. What we care significantly more about is who each person becomes in the process because at the exit if their spouse hates them their kids don't know them they have an autoimmune disease because they've just been grinding too hard which all three of those things are kind of standard in entrepreneurship um, but if that happens within our project we completely fail them so as much as we talk business we talk life and we hold people accountable to life, date nights, weekly, put your phone down at five o'clock, be with your kids. I promise you the world's not going to end when the phone is down. Um, get to the gym every day, eat good food, meditate. And we hold people accountable to this because without that foundation, none of this is worth it. And the reason that personally excites me because of 10,000 companies, we could actually influence entrepreneurship where now there's a new standard. And that standard is what we call have it all. Because unfortunately, most of the entrepreneurial thought leaders are pitching the exact opposite. And I stand against it because I know for me, I have it all at five o'clock with my kids every day. My phone is down. The world never ends. I have probably more responsibility than most entrepreneurs because I have a hundred plus companies and a big team and tons of shareholders now. And they just know that's just what is. I have the date night with my wife. I never miss a day in the gym ever. I have incredible diet and meditate. And I do all of it because it allows me to perform at the level I need to perform at. That needs to become the standard of entrepreneurship.
0: I love the balance, I love the discipline, and the holistic approach. And you're right, you know, we cannot just chase one metric. At the end of the day, we're humans, we have responsibilities, we have things that we have to take care of. And being able to instill that and influence it for such a large and wide community will set that standard. So thank you for doing what you do. And having that focus, which again cannot be easy, Because as you said, you're building, you're scaling with the goal of exiting, and there are expectations that have been set in the industry, in the communities, and to take a a pause and say, no, we're going to do it the right way, takes a lot of courage. So I really applaud you for doing that. Now, I would love for you to take us back in time and talk about two key moments, one in which things worked out beyond your imagination and were a success and uh, another one, where things did not work out as you had planned, and it was a failure. You mentioned one of them. Uh, we would love to see if there's anything more or additional details you want to add to it. So one success, one failure that became a lesson.
1: I'll share the failure first because it was it was okay. so pivotal in in the evolution of all this. So um, Sindhu, it is a marketing solution. That's the company I launched that has scaled to tens of thousands of users, but originally it was a marketing agency and our clients were thought leaders and some of the most significant thought leaders that existed, speakers, authors, um, serial entrepreneurs, anyone looking to build a personal brand We kind of were like an like really early personal branding agency. There wasn't even like a thing called personal brand at that time. And one of our clients is one of the biggest names in all of personal development. And uh, he actually reached out through our contact office forum. Um, that's how early this was and said, I heard you guys are the best of what you do. I want to talk about partnering. And uh, we had a conversation. And uh, in that conversation, he said, I want to partner with you on this huge launch that I have coming up. We expect it to be a $5 million launch. Um, I heard you're the best at doing launches like this. I want to partner with you, but I don't want to pay you. I want to give you performance if you're open to it. And I'm like, 100%, we're going to slay it. Like, let's do performance. There's, there's no way you'll pay me the amount that the performance will pay me. and you know, I'm positive, we'll pull it off. So we committed to the project. This gentleman became a dear friend in the process. And we really did a good job. I mean, we set up everything for the success of this launch, which was an information product launch on productivity, he is one of the most sought after experts on the subject of productivity in the entire world. We got 17,000 people to register for the webinar, which years ago was was incomprehensible. No one did that. Like that's more common today, but like no one did that. And there was only one piece of this entire launch we did not control. Which was the webinar service? We didn't build our own webinar service with Webinar. We were using a third-party tool because it was a pre-recorded webinar. Because he was going to be on a plane flying to Mexico during this actual webinar, um, so I contacted the founder of the Webinar Service that morning of, and I said, "Listen, we have 17,000 people registered for this webinar, and I think all 17,000 people are going to join at the same time. I just want to make sure you can handle." He said, "We can handle 100,000 people." I'm like, "Listen, I'm not theory, like." can you handle 17,000 people clicking on a link at the same time and this video has to pop up? He said, 100%, we've already tested volume beyond that point. So I said, amazing, I take his word for it. So the webinar is supposed to start in five seconds and then four seconds and then three seconds. And I see the waiting room building up thousands and thousands of people around the world. Two seconds, one second, the video is supposed to turn on and the entire platform goes white. And it ended up turning on 75 minutes later. Um, it automatically it turned on, but like, there was enough, none of people like started to leave, which that led to it actually turning on. We ended up doing about $3 million still on the launch, um, but we didn't do five. And this person called me. And he was extremely disappointed in the fact that um, it failed. And he understood this was the one piece I didn't control, but it failed. And in the process, he said, you don't get any performance whatsoever because you didn't even hit the baseline. So we invested $100,000 into just getting it ready for that moment. And we should have made 20% on at least $5 million. I was expecting $10 million. So a seven-figure like economic event turning into nothing and costing us 100 grand. It was the greatest gift for me, though, as an entrepreneur, because what it helped me realize was I really don't want to help the individual thought leader add another million dollars to their top line revenue. What I want to do is find a way to offer that level of service to thousands of small business owners, but instead of it costing five to 10 grand a month, I want to charge $50 a month, which was the final moment before I ended up going down the path of building Synduit as a SaaS platform versus a marketing agency. So but it was it was a pretty big gut punch when it actually took place. Um, the thing that was the, the more like, surprising was really the launch of Synduit. So the, the, the first year was really rough when we were a SaaS platform, mainly because we had such a bad kind of run with the first software development firm. It took us a while to get going. Um, but we then scaled really quickly, and we scaled 100% through partnerships. That company has never ran $1 running a Facebook ad ever. I'm not really a big Mark Zuckerberg fan, so I'd rather pay people that I know, like, and trust versus paying Facebook to run traffic. So what I figured out was the world of joint ventures as a result of syndicate, and then that has really served our founders of Project 10K. This is a pre-revenue company. Mm-hmm. You can never compete by paying for end users, which means running traffic to get people to buy your service. Um, but you can compete when it comes to relationship capital and building a network of people that believe in what you do. So they promote it and they only get paid after you get paid. Um, so that was really one of the major catalysts of us doing what we're doing today.
0: Well, again, have to applaud your attitude, your mindset. That kind of failure would have shut people down, would have set them back, would have said, this is not for me. But you took that head on and capitalized on that. And that set the course for you. And and you seem to have done it again and again over and over. right? So let me but- tell you why.
1: There's a really yeah. important lesson in this for everybody. So I believe that most people, we'll just call it entrepreneurs, um, when they experience adversity, they think it's the last chapter of their story. That's what they think. In the moment of adversity, like oh, the story is done. What I do is I actually realize that when I look back on the story, at most, it's a sentence and it's probably a comma, but we think it's the last chapter. So we have to stop defining anything as the last chapter because the book is not done until you stop writing the book. Um, So that's why to me, I'm like, oh, yeah, that moment was a hundred thousand dollar comma that's gonna end up producing billions of dollars for me over the course of time because there's so much that I learned in that experience. So just stop thinking everything is the end of the book when it really, it's maybe a sentence when you write your story and it's probably a comma. That's how insignificant it is. Although in the moment, it feels pretty darn significant.
0: Love that, love that perspective. Love that pause and reflection that uh, you provided because you're right. A lot of entrepreneurs, myself included, think hey, am I going in the right direction? Should I be doing something different? Should I go back and maybe have a nine to five career? So having that perspective is extremely important. Thanks for sharing that. And actually, I want to take that moment and take us into my favorite part of the show, which we call the one line life lessons. And I would love for you to share a few of your life lessons with us.
1: Um, So one of the things that I've been talking about recently a, a ton Um, is never let anyone other than you execute on your dream. Um, And what led to this is I have so many friends, I'm sure you do as well, that are like, I had the idea for Airbnb before Airbnb, or I had the idea for Uber. But the difference was somebody other than you executed on your dream. Uh, It's just so critical that when you have those moments, like things show up, like that big, bold, ambitious idea find some path to execute on it. Because the last thing you want to do is start talking about someone other than you that launched your thing. Um, you need to be the one to start launching your thing.
0: Love that. If you have any more uh, nuggets, would love to. So keep them going.
1: Yeah, so the other thing too, like you talked about like entrepreneurs that um, get to that point where they start questioning, is it easier to have a nine to five job or, or remain in entrepreneurship? The key with entrepreneurship is getting to the point where the pain of quitting is more significant than the pain of continuing. And there is a point of no return. And I remember for me, when it happened, I'm like, I actually can't go back now. So I don't care what I have to go through, but I got to go forward because there's no way I can go backward. So for anyone that's just getting into entrepreneurship, and that's really your goal is that's where you want to spend your time and energy You just gotta immerse yourself so deep in it that the pain of quitting is exponentially more painful than the pain of continuing. Um, The other thing too, and I share this a lot with young entrepreneurs is that, and this has nothing to do with age, um, and has to do more with your experience as an entrepreneur, is um, the key to your success in entrepreneurship is your ability to endure pain and to also be naive. Um, Both of those things are critical because There's elements of pain in this. There's unknown, there's uncertainty, there's challenge, there could be litigation, like there's things that are just like painful that you have to just like work your way through because you want it badly enough. But at the same time, you want to be naive to possibility, which means that everything is possible, have no boundaries around possibility, because this is a game. Like that's what this is. Entrepreneurship is purely a game. And in most games, there's a winner and there's a loser. The difference in entrepreneurship, we talk about this with our founders all the time, is that when we win, everybody wins. But if we lose, everybody loses because we only produce win-win outcomes. So just commit to winning because whatever you win, you're going to ensure other people win as a result. But if some reason you lose, then even the person who thinks they won, they lost. Because the only way they're going to win is if you win with them.
0: I love the clarity. I love the confidence. And as you said, this is not overconfidence. This is just having that conviction that nobody will stop you. Nobody can keep you down. And uh, it's such an important thing for entrepreneurs to have. So again, thank you for doing what you do. Thanks for sharing your online life lessons and your journey and story. Really appreciate it and would love to bring you back on and share many more of these success stories. Jared, thank you so much. Be my honor. I appreciate you, buddy. Thank you for all that you do, buddy.